welcome 2021. It feels the exact same. I saw this meme and it was like 2021 is just 20 but with bangs. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, but like not cute bangs. So 2021, I feel like a lot of people probably made resolutions for themselves just because they needed some sort of structure. Like I feel like people started making resolutions even before 2021 happened because we need structure. Like everyone started working out more. Yeah, nobody had anything else to do and they needed something to motivate themselves. And I feel that. Mm -hmm. I support that. Did you have any resolutions of 2021? Yeah, I had lots of resolutions. I try to do it a month at a time to make success for myself. So <laughs> so that you can, like, start one and then not finish it and then be like, oh, I'm starting a fresh one yeah, and then yeah. not finish like, it. And then, yeah, okay. I don't know. It just makes me feel better. Okay. So okay. my January month resolution is to not have any, like, skip the dishes or takeout. That's a great resolution I think because it's, it's saving money. Yeah. And you're also building that cooking skill. Yeah, I got a crock pot for Christmas from the parental unit so yeah I, it's forcing awesome. myself to learn how to cook and all I can cook is like soggy stews because I have a crock pot yeah I was just gonna say like <laughs> really ex- that's how you really extend your knowledge okay get a crock pot just put everything in it put it on like low 10 hours boom it's a meal at the end it's all I need to do and then it seems like fancy I'm like I've been cooking all day yeah, you're like, I've been cooking for eight hours. Mm-hmm. All I did was take all the leftover food in my fridge, put it and press a button, but I've been cooking slaving for eight hours. All day, slaving in the kitchen. <laughs> my other one is do, like, intentional movement every day. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a run or an intense workout, but, like, wake up, intentionally move my body. Like, it might be stretching or, like, go for a little walk or something, but... Mm-hmm. Especially when I live by myself, I will just veg on the couch all day. I'm going to take that one because, okay, I I don't have a parking pass into the new year. So now I have to like park kind of farther away and I just park where like the people don't ticket me and I just walk. So like that's my intentional walk and saving money two in one is I just walk to work now. That after I walk to work. You walk to work. I'm one of those people that's like, I walk to work, yeah. You're one of those people mm-hmm. that, like, brings their bike in their car and then bikes a block and is like, I bike here. <laughs> You're saving the environment yeah. one block at a time. My goals for 2021, I didn't really want to do any too strict and stringent, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I... My ideas for 2021 were to read more because I'm scared of law school and how much I'm going to have to read. So I'm trying to read. Starting with audiobooks. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I segue from not reading to reading is like listening, like literally listening to a podcast. (laughs) It's a book. It's an audiobook. It's like watching a movie with like when you're like backs turned to the screen. Yeah, and now when I watch movies, I turn the subtitles on, and oh, that's also that's reading. that's reading. So. That's more reading than an audiobook. I'll give you that. <laughs> okay, and my other my <laughs> other resolution is to actually make more solidified decisions and stand by them and not, you know, second-guess myself. And that's mainly because I'm having a tough time picking what law mm-hmm. school I want to go to. But making a decision and standing by it, which is a hard thing to do when you're a Libra. Let me tell you. I was just going to say, you're a Libra woman and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm destined to regret and perseverate about everything. The bosses will see you now. I'm excited. We have Michelle Pugel back today on the Boss Chick Project. I think it's so timely that she comes back to talk to us because definitely January is that time where we start to kind of reflect and try to improve ourselves and it's Mm -hmm. always like posted online and there's a lot of comparison going on and she's really Mm -hmm. someone who's like an expert in that maintaining your 
a clear mind and good mental health. Health writer, author of Anemia and Me, and we're so excited because she's going to talk to us today about her knowledge on social media and body image issues, and also she's going to give us a little teaser and some information about her new book that she is currently writing. So welcome back, Michelle, and yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit about your new book that you've been writing. Absolutely. So this book is untitled right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a couple running titles for it, but I won't share those with you just yet. I'll uh, let you wait a little in suspense for that. But the basis of this book is another recovery memoir. It is not about eating disorders. It is more heavily focused on addictions and self-harming behaviors, which are really, really pervasive um, throughout Anamia and Me. You can tell that the teen myself in that novel is breaching kind of that area of substance use issues in teenagehood. And as she grew past that novel, uh, she goes to university and things and things kind of snowball. And I think it's very important that the people who have read Anna, Mia and Me get more because I have more understanding now. Mm -hmm. So I can look back and share a lot of the information and education that I've gained. And I'm also providing a lot of actionable tips. So part of what I'm documenting is me quitting drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's super trendy right now. It just so happens that my personal project aligned with, you know, the pandemic where people are at home more and substance use issues are on the rise. And it's very, very negative, but there's also a chance there where people are starting to ask themselves certain questions about their own habits with certain substances, whether it's mm -hmm. alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's cigarettes, exercise. I mean... We can all have something that we're addicted to. I realized that alcohol was becoming a really negative coping mechanism. And due to the addiction history in my family, I had to look at where I was going and realize I didn't want to end up in the same position as a lot of my family members have unfortunately fallen into. And so with the insight that I've been able to gain through my education and also through therapy, I understand now how to quit. So I want to show others the process of quitting and kind of the really raw, hard moments. I have moments in there where I'm actually writing it in real time. So I, I set it up from like day two of no alcohol. This is what's going no. through my body. This is how I feel within having a chronic illness and managing that with medication. I'm six months without alcohol right now, and yeah. that process has been rocky, but it's uh, it's shaping up into a really interesting story that whenever I talk to people about it, I'm shocked, actually, that there seems to be so much need right now for people to understand even just reducing consumption, you know, for that mental health and physical health component. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's interesting you said it aligns with the pandemic because when in isolation, I think that you said that consumption is so in your face. You're seeing how much you consume because you're alone with it. Like even my own family has done 
months without drinking just because they're in shock of how much they drink in a normal time or consume anything. But yeah, I think it's also interesting how people are starting to question and look at our healthcare and being prescribed medications a lot differently in this time as well. So I think that'll be really for sure. Timely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that has a lot of overlap with Anna, Mia, and me, and some of the pieces of that story that are missing there that I wasn't able to express in my younger years will mm-hmm. certainly be coming forward in this new book. Yeah, I think that's really a, a good point to share because the people that read Anna, Mia, and me, and then now they're reading this book, like, years later, because you're writing this one now, you wrote this one when you were 17, so they get to learn about all the stuff that you've been educated on about your eating disorder and that you've learned through your degrees and your master's and through therapy, but then, so they get all that education, but they, I think it's important that they also see that you're still on the journey. I've had different counselors throughout my life that I've spoken with who have actually had really different perspectives on Mm the journey of living with an eating disorder and recovering, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of is good and bad, you know? Um, For example, I had one therapist tell me that it would be something that I needed to watch forever, Mm -hmm. you know, um, especially during times of major life changes or going to university. Those would be the times where I might be susceptible to relapse. Now, I've had another therapist tell me kind of the complete opposite where it was implied that it was a negative to hold on to this idea that I would always kind of be in recovery. Mm -hmm. So I do think that it depends on the lens you look at it. But for me personally, 100% on your page, Kennedy, the greatest thing that I think that I can do with what I'm trying to do is show people how flawed I actually am. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's this image where if you only see my degrees and you only see, Mm -hmm. you know, past wedding photos and all these happy times and these moments. And I mean, there are no images online of me from when I was struggling with my eating disorder. I think it's so interesting to say that, like expressing your flaws and their struggles, Mm -hmm. I think is a way healthier conversation that'll and more powerful I think it'll lead to more change and better discussions than I went through something hard but I fixed it and now I'm perfect I think it's yeah not helpful for anyone no really <laughs> and I love that you put that out there because I advocate for treatment and I will always advocate for treatment but I don't prescribe what treatment you should do who you should go to yeah. I just want to be there in case Unfortunately, while I've been promoting Anamia and Me, I've been looking at, you know, the social media landscape of eating disorder recovery. And I have to say, um, it's something that I never looked into before, largely because kind of any searching for eating disorder stuff could be potentially triggering. But what I saw was really concerning. I may be in a different generation Now, I may be past this, it may not be relevant, um, or I may not get it, but for me personally, as somebody who is recovered from an eating disorder, I don't want to see what you eat in a day. I personally don't find that very empowering. Yeah, I think like there's a line that some people see and some people don't see as if is social media just for me and I'm posting things that make me feel better and in control or are people or am I posting this for other people to see and I think some people forget that that 
what you're posting is for everyone to witness and put judgment on or yeah yeah I think that's true and I mean Michelle I asked you about this before too because I was saying that I have like a literal food highlight on my Instagram that I post because I cook a lot of food and I love cooking and I was but that's something that I I never thought could be like triggering to someone and you know I do see what I eat in a day like models who post you know this is what I eat breakfast lunch dinner this is my Mm -hmm. snack and and even like I am not someone who struggled but even when you see something like that there's a part of you that just feels like oh like should I be doing that like I didn't have that for breakfast like am I Mm -hmm. and there's that kind of going back to what we talked about in episode one that good food bad food thing like I'm like oh yeah I had a bagel for breakfast but she had like almonds and a fruit like am I not doing that correctly it's that comparison culture that it can be hard to identify that why you feel a certain like bad taste in your mouth over something posting food if you love food is so so fine be passionate about it and love it it's when you're trying to tell people what they should be eating and the calories and you know the tips those kind of health tips and the specific advice from people who aren't um trained in nutrition Mm -hmm. who who don't have the background in it it can be quite scary yeah and I think it's important that you said that if they're not you know health professionals because I know there's a lot of like um people in nutrition and naturopaths and doctors who use Instagram and use like social media as an outlet now to promote and so that's obviously not to knock like those follow them yeah no yeah (laughs) follow dietitians and follow nutritionists and follow people who have the credentials Mm-hmm. that's really a big issue is the the lack of knowledge. Yeah, and especially because we don't learn about it in our Canadian school system very much at all. You can be kind of hungry for that information, for lack of a better word. And then you look at the the people who have those really strong social media followings and you look at the feed and you look at the content on it. It is very tailored for a certain specific message. Mm-hmm. Well, if you follow me, you will be like me. Yeah, and, and people people want aesthetic, and people want you know people want to look at pretty things, and people want to see something where it, it makes them feel better, and that's something that we crave in our culture. Is it's a quick fix? Absolutely, and that reminds me so so much of that quote that you wrote down about uh, basically like trading the quick fix for long term recovery. Yeah, I'll read the quote so people can hear it. This is a Mm -hmm. quote from Michelle's first book, Anna, Mia, and Me. Why does instant gratification mask future consequences? We all know we'll precede our actions. We're living for the desires of now. And then you also mentioned how can we be so blind to the patterns that cause us pain? That was kind of like a brief quote of your like kind of three things that you've said. But that's, that's what you were talking about, right? Instant gratification masking future consequences. Social media is based on instant gratification. That's the whole point of it. Um, It's where we go to escape. It's where we go for that really quick dopamine hit when we're getting those likes. And, you know, it, it on its own can become addictive where you start changing who you are to get those followers. You start looking at other pages. Well, what does that recovery page post about? What does that nutritionist post about? What should I be doing? And then what you end up with is a social media field that was supposed to like breed creativity, but it's bred carbon copies. It really does depend kind of 
there's silos on social media, you know, the hashtags you follow, the people you follow, they could be completely different from the people who I follow. And thus your experience of it's going to be totally different than mine, which kind of can be empowering because you can tailor what you're actually absorbing. You know, there are, uh, there are counts that as wonderful as they are, I just can't follow them simply because they post about weight loss or they post about how they're, you know, getting healthy. And for somebody with a chronic illness and a history of eating disorders, the whole getting healthy rhetoric can be really uh, problematic for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you touched on this a little bit, but I think it's like social media has become where everyone gets their information. It's, it's totally our reality. So I think when you see someone perfect and happy and thin and you, you, what you see is them eating that, that's all you're equating to equaling that because that's mm-hmm. where you got your information from. So that's why people are following these things. It's like people don't look at journals or newspaper to get their exactly it's totally social media where they're getting that information from. So it's definitely like aesthetically pleasing to look at a nice Instagram photo. But I also think people are trying to inform themselves in totally Mm -hmm. different areas. Mm -hmm. I would really recommend that if you're following people, look for people who have letters behind their names. Think about it as everybody you're following, you're essentially supporting their mission, right? So do you want to support what this person is putting out there? It's going to be impossible to go through every single person, but have a boundary for yourself. Social media is kind of like magazines used to be. Magazines, you'd pick it up and you believed what they told you. You would like pour over them every month. It was like the Bible. These are the tricks. This is how I'll be a woman. This is how I'll have sex. Mm -hmm. This is how I'll do my hair. This is how I'll dress. You're saying magazines when you were growing up were what everyone believes and I think it's interesting because now I would never if I saw a magazine I'd be like oh that's fake that's falsified that's right like old news but then when you see someone's Instagram or someone's TikTok they're unless they're you know extremely famous like they're running that account so you think they're taking those photos they just they just took that picture they just put it up like there's been no editing but I mean, I just don't know how to, but people are wizards nowadays. Like, 13-year-olds <laughs> are wizards with FaceTune I and know. all those apps. And you know when you were in high school and one of your health classes would show that one video of the magazine girl getting her editing done and you'd see the before and oh, after? Yeah. Like, everyone saw that growing up and you're like, wow, like, they don't really look like that. But that's what's happening on Instagram and even like with the filters. It changes your face completely and it's not realistic. But I think because it's a platform that we run ourselves, people don't initially think that. They just think, oh, they put that picture up. Wow, they just took that. They took it one try on their camera roll. hasn't even been edited and I got uploaded. I think it's exactly like what a magazine was, except we're not seeing it like we now see magazines. Another component to that is when you look at these Instagram feeds, you you don't associate it with necessarily the cover model. You associate it with somebody like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, true. So yeah, one of the biggest problems I had uh, in recovery from my eating disorder was that the adults around me kept saying that, you know, the people on the magazines were fake and that Photoshop and that there's no way, like there's no physical way that 
I can get rid of my cellulite and all of these things that I would obsess over. But the issue was that when I got Facebook, it was like, no, these people do exist. When I went to different cities, no, these model-like women do exist. But in my day, we didn't have filters, so we had to, like, (laughs) filter our faces for real. But it wasn't the same. It was just, like, a cover swipe. Now... I mean, you can change your face with makeup, too. You don't even need the Facetune filter. You can get the skills. I don't know how. Mm. I am so not talented I don't with either. I, at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I am a victim of becoming accustomed to filters. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, when I open my Snapchat, which is a way that I communicate with a lot of my close friends, could be Cassandra, who I Snapchat every day. I'm going to throw a filter. And not because I'm worried about what Cassandra thinks what I look like. It's when I look at myself in a front camera, but I'm like, whoa, when I see myself, because I'm not used to seeing myself on Snapchat front camera without a filter. It's just like not normal to me anymore. Like I'm used to my nose being a little bit smaller, That's interesting. my skin being clear, and my eyes being bigger. I was reading this article and it, they were saying that most of cosmetic surgery nowadays is the people come in and they don't come in, I want this nose from a magazine or I want to look like this celebrity. It's they bring a picture of themselves with a filter how their nose looks with a Snapchat or an Instagram filter, how their eyes are a little bit bigger. And, and cosmetic surgery has changed from being like fixing a bump in the nose to being eyes a little bit bigger, nose a little bit more narrow, and obviously like lips being a bit bigger. But I can see where that comes from because you get so used to putting a filter on yourself. It's like we don't even know what we look like. Like when I open my camera, I'm like, oh, that's not me. That's not what I look like. It's lying. So this is so interesting because this is exactly what the experience of having body dysmorphia and having an eating disorder is. When you look in the mirror, you cannot trust what you see. You said like you had magazines, but if you were having your eating disorder during the times of Instagram, your recovery would have been so much harder. So... What do you think like growing up in the times of Instagram has done for people's body image? When I was thinking about this question earlier, I wanted to ensure that I made note that social media is not all bad. Um, Social media brought us the body positivity movement, in my opinion. It empowered it. It has empowered so many social movements and it has... made a safe place for people in recovery to gather. Those are the positives for sure. Now on the negative is everything we we were just talking about. The way that filtering yourself changes your own perception of yourself to the point where you're willing to go and show a face filter to a doctor to change it. The negativity of social media, I truly believe when I was going through my eating disorder it would have been too it would have been too tempting to go to those hashtags and to those influencers i think that the the course of treatment would have been that i need to get off social media entirely for you know a, a good stretch of time like we were talking about last time there are a lot of negatives that come with social media there are a lot of positives that come with social media I think it really does come back to individual use. You know, for yourself, Kennedy, when you're talking about the face filter, 
it's really interesting that you mentioned the larger eyes and the smaller nose. And so in the articles that I've read, that aesthetic we need to remember as women is the aesthetic of a child. The very large eyes that haven't, you know, we haven't grown into yet. The very large eyes, the very small face, um, that kind of doughy look to us, that softness. That is a very specific aesthetic towards childlikeness. Vulnerability, it's not threatening, it's not powerful, but it's a script that we're playing into. And it's a script based on an aesthetic that values youth. It will always value youth. I read something really interesting, and I think it was right after we had our first conversation, that the pressures and standards for women's beauty over time are and them to be thinner or to have those more childlike features totally coordinates with when women get more economic power, get more education and more rights. Yes. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts about like, beauty standards Mm -hmm. and how it's kind of imposed by a patriarchal society (laughs) absolutely i do she's like i'm ready i've been waiting for this question (laughs) yeah um so the beauty standard on its own is something that we've had forever but you are absolutely right and the term that i've associated and i've learned to associate with what happens to women in society, when we start to gain some some power, uh, economically, socially, professionally, all of that, it's backlash. The more we progress, the harder we will be pulled back into this state of submission, like I mentioned earlier. A spot where we can play that role of the good girl, where, you know, we will do what we're told, well, look how we're supposed to. And at the end of the day, why why is there the child aesthetic? There's the youth component, but there's also that, that sense of controllability. Like it's one thing to give us body t- positivity. Okay, we love our bodies. But the issue with that also becomes we're presenting that love of our bodies to prove that we're body positive. How is the correct way to promote body positivity then like is there a correct way i think that body positivity still has a long way to go in being inclusive what is the purpose of body positivity if it is to get us to love ourselves in a way that we're not self-harming with external components or drugs or dieting but i still truly believe that we're missing an element here And I haven't quite put my finger on it yet, but there has to be a space between like body neutrality. Can't I just be neutral about the body that I'm in? I'll always go back to my thighs because in the 90s, thighs were a real issue. (laughs) Um, When I grew up, it was like you wanted the, the thin, thin thighs. Have we now moved away from it to the point where we call it body positivity, but really the people who can't reach the ideal of having nice, thick strong thighs 
are just on the other end hating themselves for that now. But yeah, it's true. It would be hard to be caught up in that like, okay, I'm I'm the ideal right now, but then 10 years down the line you're the opposite of the ideal. And then yeah, people are It's a moving what target. The new ideal is, but then you're like, wait, but like you can't you can't keep up. It's true. It was thin lips and then big lips and then, you know, straight hair, curly hair. Like it's just like it, it's constantly changing. super thin eyebrows and now eyebrows that I can never have because I overplucked mine. (laughs) I just find like body positivity movement in general, I think is super hyper-sexualized. Oh yeah. It's not just our bodies. We're proud of our bodies, but it's like, it's almost like you have to show it off to be body positive. You have to like be half naked on Instagram to like love your body. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just so... I think our bodies are just too sexualized in general. And it's, again, kind of that patriarchal control over it. Yeah. But that's something that I really struggle with. For sure. The male gaze is a very strong and healthy and alive thing in our culture. <laughs> we've we've made so much progress. We have. But I never, ever want any generation of women to feel like we've made enough progress that we just stop now. Like we're so not close to equal. It's not even funny. So how important would you say it is that our like body image and I guess body positivity is inclusive? It's, it can't, for me, it can't exist without inclusivity. Um, how can you have body positivity that doesn't include all bodies? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely, like, a lot of other systematic issues that are causing these body images just beyond social media. For sure. And like Kennedy was saying about that, you know, it's constantly changing. In my 30 years, I've seen so many different beauty ideals that, honestly, that's kind of where I've gotten my body positivity from is, like, it's changing all the time. So... It would literally be impossible for me to be the ideal throughout my entire life. You always want to prioritize yourself over your social media feed. And I think that that's probably the best piece of advice is always prioritizing yourself and your needs. At the end of the day, they come and they go. And if you're watching those numbers and thinking about your self-worth attached to those numbers, it's no different than attaching your self-worth to the number on the scale. So what are some ways that we we can avoid social media? As you said, there's there's some positives that mm-hmm. come up with it. It's, it's our reality. It's social media is everywhere. So what are some ways that we can create our feeds to be better for us or some tips to maintain a healthy mindset while still being on social media all the time? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is if you see regular posts from a certain person's account that have a bad feeling for you for whatever reason it may be, don't be afraid to hit the unfollow button. I heard a very good tip from somebody who I was interviewing for another story this week, and they shared with me to try and take one hour a day where you just don't have it with you. And it's a huge, it's a huge challenge, an hour a day without your phone. 
think about it. And if it makes you a little panicky, there's a reason for that, right? We're so, so uh, hooked up to our phones, but you can live without it. And especially for younger generations who are growing up with the phones in their hands, it's important to learn how to put it down and be okay without it. If that means going back to having like an old school alarm clock in your room instead of sleeping Mm -hmm. with your phone in your bed like me, (laughs) do like do an inventory of who you follow. Go through it in the same way that you would for your friends list and ask yourself those questions. You know, am I really getting something from following this page? Understand what you want from yourself and your brand and align yourself with other people on social media who are like-minded. Um, that's not to say that you should create kind of an, a bubble where you don't go outside of it ever because I do think that coming into contact with uh, opposing opinions is good for us. We should be challenged in our thinking. Instagram has a mute feature too, so you can like mute people you don't want to actually ever see but still technically follow them if you think it would hurt their feelings well instagram did something right (laughs) yeah a little like in betweener for us yeah i think the break that you talk about is really important though because for me i have the type of personality where i feel like to feel relaxed i have to constantly be doing or getting something done and so sometimes being on my social media stresses me out more because i'm like oh yes like you said it's selective if you follow some like an investment account well you're only going to see all these people taking time out of their day to read these investment books and do these things and i think oh i should really start doing that or you see the the you want to get into shape so you follow the workout accounts and you see they're doing their daily workouts oh i didn't have time to do my daily workout today because i was reading that book and investments or you know like (laughs) it's constantly like you're seeing other people accomplish all these things that actually goes to one of the quotes that we were going to talk about in your book said like it didn't matter what I was excelling at the feeling it was just the feeling of accomplishment and control that eased my void like I mean even in a positive way too like I followed a a painting tutorial page like so harmless so harmless yeah Yeah. but then I'm, I'm looking through it daily at these people who are like painting daily like full paintings that's what I'm saying yeah yeah I'm like I Mm. all of a sudden I'm like I need to paint and it's like this stressful Mm. like yeah I know these things I'm like I don't even want to now (laughs) yeah I feel like it's it's difficult to have a hobby and relax doing it nowadays because now hobbies aren't even accomplishing something. They're like, if you enjoy it, you, you're not accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. This doesn't make sense. And sometimes I think it helps. And this might seem like egotistical. I don't know. But this is something that I do that helps. If I'm ever feeling like that, I will just open like a Word document and write down all the things that I've like started doing or that I've accomplished in the last six months. Or I do that and then I start to realize like, okay, no, in these six months, I've actually done all these things. I've adjusted myself in a positive way. Absolutely. I actually do the exact same thing. Like just Mm -hmm. jot it down. And yeah, once you get it down on paper and then you look back, you're like, okay, you're like, I did it. Calm down. Mm -hmm. But it, it, goes back to that issue of, you know, we're worthy because we're productive or we're worthy because we're beautiful or we're worthy because we're thin. Developing a sense of self-worth outside of those things is 
difficult, but it's definitely a great goal for all of us to try for. That's the hardest one for sure. The minute that I stopped associating my worth with my weight, um, I went right back to associating it with my academic achievements and then it was career achievements. What are some things we can do? Because at the beginning you mentioned how quarantine has caused, and you and Katana were talking about how quarantine has caused people to drink more, uh, but we're also like self-reflecting where we're trying to look and notice those things. I think another thing that we've all become way more addicted to, obviously, because there's nothing else to do, is social media. We were talking about reflecting on alcohol and taking breaks and detoxing. Like, same thing with social media, Instagram, TikTok. All of these things can be poisonous to us. So taking a break and even another way to look at it is, you know, if if you're not the kind of person who is a cold turkey kind of person where you want to just delete your app, I would highly recommend is actually go ahead and do the thing that you want to stop doing. So say, have that glass of wine, go on that social media for your half hour, whatever it is. And instead of judging yourself during those moments or feeling guilty or shameful or like a failure, ask yourself gentle questions. Gentle questions like, how am I feeling right now? That is a really good question to kind of help you connect with some things that when you're scrolling and so zoned in, sometimes you lose sense of what's going on in your own body and you don't realize your shoulders are tense and your jaw is clenched and, you know, you're squinting or you're, you're in a state of anxiety. Taking a moment to kind of reflect on how you feel when you do the things that you're trying to reduce and write it down. Like actually put it on paper or put it into a Word document, put it on your cell phone, wherever. Yeah. You need these things with you in a sort of toolkit of sorts so that in those impulsive moments where you're like, oh, what's the big deal? I mean, I do that too. I promised myself I would never yeah. bring my phone in my bed because I interview sleep experts <laughs> all the time. And <laughs> every single one of them will tell you, don't keep your phone in your room when you're sleeping. Don't keep, don't be scrolling in bed. I turn mine off asleep. when I go to bed. So. Good job, Kennedy. Thank you. <laughs> Good job, Thank Kennedy. Thank you. I'm not about, I'm not about the radiation when I sleep, you guys. That's the reason why I turn it off. <laughs> I love it. I think it's baby steps, really. Like, yeah. for me, after a long day of work doing podcast stuff, I want to go on my social media for at least half an hour before I go to bed because I just want to zone out and I don't want to think of anything else. And that, I mean, yeah, if I could train myself to be able to do that with a book, I would prefer that. But I think it's baby steps and I know that you can limit your phone usage. Like you can set it so it's, it locks you. So so you can only use Instagram for like an hour a day or after 6 p.m. it locks you out. And yeah, obviously you can change it. But if you're trying to hold yourself accountable, that'll often be enough. Yeah, like even try the next time you go for a walk, keeping your phone in your pocket. It's not like you have to totally leave it at home. I was doing a hike today and I just like stopped and started like Instagramming in the middle of the woods. I'm like, what am I doing right now? But if you're sitting there and this is so timely because it's New Year's resolution season, you know, there has to be transitional stages in between things. We can't just change overnight. None of us can. And that goes all the way back to the beginning 
where we were talking about that concept of recovery as an ongoing thing. I think it's really important that you said we have to be gentle and ask ourselves gentle questions and put up those boundaries. I think that's kind of been the biggest lesson we've all tried to learn this year is to be nicer to ourselves. So when it comes to like your New Year's resolutions, like kind of keep that in mind that you're doing the best you can and just achieving like a certain goal doesn't mean that's how you value your worth. Like your worth is not placed Mm -hmm. on your productivity or how you look on Instagram or comparing yourself to others, especially in January or when you're making resolutions Mm -hmm. for yourself. The fact that you're even making resolutions means you're self-aware of parts of you that you want to improve and things that you want for yourself exactly and everyone's journey is at different steps and stages so just because you might not look like your part of the journey looks like where someone else's is doesn't mean you're not improving and making strides what michelle said is it's about the individual person and your Mm -hmm. individual journey and stuff so we want to say a big thank you to michelle pugel for once again being an amazing guest on the boss chick project and sharing her knowledge and insight on body health body positivity mental health chronic illness and so much more and we want to continue to promote and support her so check out her website michellepugel.com follow her on instagram check out her blog postings and if you haven't already be sure to read her book anna mia and me which is available on amazon and keep an eye and ear open for her new book which is to be released at a to be determined date once again thank you so much for being on the show michelle and we look forward to speaking with you again now i don't know if you all recall uh, our year in a recap episode but i feel like one of our resolutions was for you guys to um download mm. like subscribe rate and Absolutely. review do you recall that i, I, I do just feel like it i was... remember that happening yeah i know I it was last year that. but and it's i know it's a tough challenge but I think that you guys can really crush it and we're here to coach you through it and be your accountability partner yeah and we just want to support you in your resolutions and everyone who listened to that episode was pretty much signing a verbal contract Mm -hmm. when they pressed listen that they were going to do that again it you have to based on karma in the universe as well. Just keep that in the back That's of your true. mind too. Absolutely. Yeah. Entering a new moon. All you have to do is subscribe. Rate. Review. Like. Download. Comment, share, DM us. You know the drill. It's so easy. It's so simple. And it'll make our whole year. But yes, we seriously appreciate all of your continued support. Mm-hmm. We can't wait to give you guys the best season of the Boss Shift Project ever. All right, that's it for us. The bosses are out. The office is closed. We'll see you next week. <laughs>